Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend Michael Dwyer. Uh, it will be uh, somewhat of an odd show today, as I have recently moved, and I made the mistake of trusting the word of a telecommunications company. So that fell true. I currently have no internet. I'm trying to do this off a of phone, sitting in a room which is absolutely not suited for this purpose. So Michael, finally you will have better audio quality than I do. Well, I'm delighted by that news, am I? Do I care? I believe this is what they call a regression to the mean. Well, you're the one that's mean. I'm the nice one. That wounds me, Michael. Yeah, I wish it did, if it was that easy. To start off with, I just wanted to mention uh, an interesting little article. I'll put a link to it below. It is from the clinical director of the Royal College of Surgeons of Ireland Hospital Group. And he wrote this in the Irish Times about a day or two ago. Now, we were, we were talking about Slauncher Care for a long while and saying it was never going to happen. There's no political will behind it. There was barely any castings. It's basically just a wish list of things that practically can't be done. But when we were talking about it in more detail, we were pointing out that when you look at the implementation side of it, it actually looks like it's going okay. Because they can come out and they can say, well, we've got, you know, this percent of these metrics are going fine and only a certain percent are, are struggling with. And we're explaining that what you do in these circumstances, when you think that a problem is going to be, uh, a program is going to be a problem, is you bundle it. You make a sandwich, basically. And at the core of it is the things you actually, that are actually integral to the project. And surrounding it is a load of useless nonsense that you can easily achieve and therefore say the project is going well, even though at absolutely no point are the things that are integral to the project, the actual core of it, anywhere close to being implemented. And we were saying that's exactly what's happened with Slanchiker, that on paper it looks good because they have done that. And they're hitting all of this low-hanging fruit and then saying, look how well we're doing. And that's where all these resignations have come from. I, now I think at the minute we're up to six resignations from the um, Slauncher Implementation Advisory Council. Six. Yeah, it's not good. The article in the Irish Times, as it was by Patrick Bro, the clinical director of the um, Royal College of Surgeons of Ireland Hospital Group, it is titled, Slauncher meetings were largely a waste of time. And the subheading is, it is difficult to assess at this point whether Slauncher and its implementation can be even partially resuscitated. And the majority of the article is about how absolutely pointless the Slauncher Implementation Advisory Council is, how it has no say over anything. It doesn't explicitly say that the Minister for Health, the successive Minister for Health, haven't cared about the projects, but it does point out the previous projects have succeeded because there was political will, which indicates in this case there's none. But the interesting thing I thought was a very particular paragraph where he talks about the project director. And he says that the project director presumably wanted to show evidence of progress of the Slauncher Care program. And he points out that there was an editorial in the Irish Times three years ago, which identified the risk of cherry-picking parts of the Slauncher Care program if overall progress was slow. This prediction, he says, came true. So that is exactly what we said was going to happen. And now we have a highly credentialed, highly respectable former member of the board coming out and saying, this is what they did. So, yeah, Slauncher Care is in pieces. 
And I've heard some of the uh, discussions around this from people involved in it. I know, Michael, you were listening to one of them on radio. And some of the people involved in this are very impressive, very credentialed. Some of them are not. It's hard to see how this goes well. It looks like this has finally hit the wall. At the point where they should start doing the difficult things. And everyone involved is realising, actually, no one is interested in that. And you keep hearing, you know, really thoughtful things, Michael. Like, well, if all politicians agreed on this, no one at a local level can fight against it politically. And you, you, you read that sort of thing and you do have to go, oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> because they actually believe that. They actually believe. <laughs> Everyone came together and tried their best. And this is what they came up with. And aren't we all in this together? And you look at them and you go, you're, what, how did you get this far in Ireland? And think that. That's actually impressive. I, the, you know the old joke, what's the, what's the definition of a camel? A camel is a horse designed by a committee. And there's a little bit about of Sanchaker in that, except that it's more like a unicorn. There's a, in there, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a unicorn camel because it is, in a sense, a wish list. It's all the lovely things we would like in the lovely world and as one person's connected to it said it's all it is really it's just about ensuring that everybody in ireland has access to all the health care they need without any context or any sense well what would that mean if we really wanted that in practice what would that mean for costs because there's an old cliche you know when they're talking about health care you can have health care which is free for everybody you can have health care which is universally of a very, very high quality, and healthcare, which is unrationed. But you can't have all three. You can either have rationing and have very high quality, or you can have it everybody getting the same thing, and you can have it free, but you can't have it at the very high quality. There's, there's, well, in theory, you could have all three, I suppose, but you'd probably have to spend a third of your GDP to achieve that. And I'm not sure how long the healthcare system would survive because how long would the economy survive if you're doing that? It's just this wonderful aspirational Euro healthcare unicorn because nobody wanted to be the bad guy, Gary, really. I mean, who was going to be the person that was going to stand there and say, yeah, that's all very well, lads, but there's no way in the world we're going to actually spend that kind of money on achieving that kind of thing. And also, we're not going to take... Even if we wanted to do something like that, and we thought that there was a way we could do something like this, or close to this, the kinds of structural changes and the kinds of cutbacks to administration and to levels of administration that we'd have to achieve to do that would be so politically impossible that there's no way we'd ever go near doing that anyway. So everybody just lumped in and they brought their list of wishes with them and they all threw it into the well and they came away and they called it a policy. They're not going to let it die because, you know, it may be unworkable. It may always have been unworkable, but no one has come forward with an alternative idea because no one wants to actually be the person blamed for what happens. So this will keep going until it's no longer useful, which will probably be a while, actually. Oh, it'll go on longer than that. Yeah, well, we've already gotten to the point where civil servants are starting to resign from it. <laughs> and, and that's usually the point of... This is just not viable. This ship is going down. Yeah, th this can't be just pushed into a back room somewhere and forgotten about for a decade. We need to get off this boat. 
So I just wanted to, to quickly mention that because it was, as I said, it's been something we have been talking about for a while. I had mentioned before at the last podcast that there was a story Gript was likely going to release over the weekend. I'm not sure if it will be out by the time this podcast is. The HSE is kind of slow walking us on some stuff and I want some answers before we go live with it. But I want to just run through the general gist of it here because I think it's interesting. About two weeks ago, Ken Fox, the um, he's a journalist who specializes in freedom of information requests and sort of data journalism. He released a, uh, a sheet, an Excel sheet of every social media account which the HSE has reported to a social media organization for misinformation. Well, sorry, he, he wrote a story on it. You actually have to reach out. I actually have to reach out to Ken Fox to get the Excel sheet with everything in it. But I decided, Michael, because I had very little to do one evening, that I would go through all 1,300 posts, one by one, and I would find, you know, did they constitute misinformation? And if they didn't, what exactly was the HSE reporting? And why were they reporting it? And who did they get it from? So it's not just in misinformation. A lot of it was deleted, which would indicate to me that they reported it and the social media uh, organizations took it offline. So it was probably against their um, guidelines. So we'll assume that was all misinformation, just to be kind to the HSE. But I found a lot of other stuff as well. I found that the HSE had reported uh, MPs from Britain for misinformation. I found that they had reported articles from the Jerusalem Post, Politico, uh, The Hill. They had reported the New York Times Science for misinformation. They had reported a senator, a sitting Irish senator, for misinformation. And the problem with a lot of this is that a lot of what they reported didn't constitute misinformation. Some of it was opinions. Some of it was borderline. Some of it was uh, things about anti-lockdown protests, which made no medical claims or references to COVID at all, really. In one case, they reported a journalist who is the BBC's, who is a, a misinformation specialist for the BBC for misinformation because she was talking about things that they classed as medical misinformation. They also reported a number of things that were clearly jokes. Personal favourite was the black woman who said that one of the side effects of the COVID vaccination was fat ass, complete with photos where she was showing off her ass, Michael. I don't think her intent there was to medically mislead the public. I think that might be what we would call a joke. Do they also include the Mallow News? They did. They, they included a, a, a tweet from Mallow News, which made a comment about the vaccine, vaccination program being halted because of new side effects above a photo of, I believe, blood cells with tiny swords and British flags attempting to take over Irish blood cells. And they said that the, <laughs> the uh, AstraZeneca had been halted because of that. Tons of stuff. Tons of stuff. There was one tweet where someone asked Michael McNamara, would he ask a parliamentary question about uh, if additional deaths had been caused by the COVID vaccine? Now, Michael, you can look at that and say, you don't believe deaths were caused by the COVID vaccine. But a citizen 
asking a parliamentarian would they ask a parliamentary question is not medical misinformation. They can be wrong, but it would actually appear to be a perfectly fine and legitimate thing in a democracy and kind of troublesome that the HSE would attempt to shut it down. I don't understand how a question can be misinformation anyway, just from a grammatical point of view. Oh, they also they also reported the chief Italian correspondent of Reuters for misinformation. It looks like a lot of journalists who reported anything negative about this, even when we started the, the, the issues that led to the EMA to conduct an investigation into blood clots, which was a serious issue and deserved investigation. Although we did say that they shouldn't have stopped the vaccination program for it when the Irish government did so. The HSE was reporting stories like from very, very respectable journalistic outlets, absolutely mainstream. They were reporting those journalistic outlets for misinformation for reporting the stories that led to that investigation. Things that just seem to be absolutely true. But my personal favourite, Michael, now this is my personal favourite. There was a tweet that they reported for misinformation. And the tweet only consisted of a direct quote and a link. The link went to the British Medical Journal. The quote was from the deputy editor of the British Medical Journal. The HSE is reporting content from the British Medical Journal, considered one of the most prestigious medical journals in existence, for misinformation. That seems a bit weird. But I have a particular idea of how this happened. How they ended up with so many posts that were not medical misinformation, came from reputable sources, and just jokes. So jokes, people's opinions, parliamentarians, a sitting senator, all of these people, how they got picked up. And my theory is this. The HSE is not getting their people to gather these list, lists. The HSE is using some kind of algorithm to gather these lists. And they are basically not going through the results of that algorithm before submitting the posts at two social media companies asking them to take them down as medical misinformation. And what I found particularly interesting about the database is when you look at Ken Fox's database, some of the links to social media posts go directly to those posts, but some of them don't. Some of them go through an intermediary before they go there. And I was able to, it, it goes very quickly, but I was able to stop it and have a look at where this intermediary was. And it's a company called Kinzen. Now, Kinzen were set up by Mark Little of Storyful uh, background. So you know it's going to be a good time, Michael. They were a company that promised to provide people with personalized news feeds curated to your interests and with trustworthy sources. In about 2019, actually probably later, probably to middle of 2020, they decided they would become a company focused on misinformation and the control of misinformation. And I would suspect, I don't know because the HSE is slow walking me on this, that the HSE has contracted the services of Kinzen and Kinzen are gathering these lists in full or in part. Now, we know the Department of Health is working with this company, but up to this point, there's been no mention of the HSE working with them. But particularly when you look at the jokes and how the jokes got included, 
I think that's what indicates that this is an algorithm. Because no human could look at some of the jokes that were gathered and realize that it wasn't a joke. But they're exactly the sort of thing an algorithm would pick up as serious because they're terrible at that sort of thing. To be fair, I mean, you would expect that somebody doing this would use an algorithm, that the first port of call would be some kind of an algorithm which was either good, bad, or indifferent. And basically, this looks very much like an algorithm that is a bit like a trawler going out to deep sea fish, and you throw the net out as wide as you can, and you bring up your cod and your haddock, but a amongst all of that, you also have your, your spider crabs and your dogfish and your small creatures from the, the denizens of the deep. What is maybe more problematic or slightly weird about it is there doesn't seem to have been any filtering process after that it's just brought on board and then dumped like frankly Gary some of the stuff that you came that came through that you were you described here and some of the other stuff we've talked about elsewhere is the kind of thing if, if it got a kid from TY who was you know you're he's doing his ty year in secondary school and asked him just to skim through these stories as they come in a hell of a lot of these stories would have been taken out there doesn't seem to have been or doesn't feel like there has been any human interaction with this at all no i mean if you had showed me these results and said is this an algorithm a human or some mix i would have gone for pure algorithm with no human oversight because some of this could not have got through any person at all. At all. But the thing is, Kinzen promises that their technology is a combination of artificial intelligence, which is basically just machine learning, which is basically just an algorithm, and it's a sales word because this is absolutely not intelligence, and human judgment, which is the way they describe it. I would be very interested to see where the human came into this. Now, of course, we can't show that Kinzen did this or that Kinzen is working with the department or with the HSE at all. It's possible that the HSE got um, got some information from Kinzen by getting it passed on to them, maybe by the Department of Health, or maybe they got some of the stuff from Kinzen and then they used another algorithm to get the rest of it. Yeah, it's possible they, they're... Yeah, yeah, but it's possible that they're using their own algorithm in conjunction with this, and that's produced. They've lumped it in with the kins and stuff, and it's produced this rather odd outcome. I mean, it's possible. It, it it strikes me as a very odd thing to do if you have access to a third party who does this kind of work. But if this is all Kinzen's work, it's very sloppy. Like it's not the sort of thing. I would expect from anything with human oversight. And this is the problem with algorithms. You either make them very, you cast a very broad net and you bring in a load of useless stuff or you go narrower and you run the risk that you lose things. The problem I think here is even if Kinzen is putting this together and they're gathering up what they class as misinformation, it is incredibly negligent for the HSE not to review it. Because as I said, the HSE was reporting people asking parliamentarians for help. They were they reported sitting Irish senator. News organisations, news stories which led to important public health breakthroughs were reported by our state health service as misinformation. 
And that's not a small thing right now. The social media companies are paying a lot of attention to any sort of content on their platforms about COVID. So for something like the HSE to reach out to Twitter or Facebook, they're going to take that seriously. And it then becomes a question of what safeguards are in place to make sure the HSE doesn't report something incorrectly as misinformation. And I asked the HSE, and they get me, they do the thing they usually do, which is you send them numbered questions and they send you back a paragraph long boilerplate answer that relates somewhat to what you asked them. But I asked them for safeguards and they didn't send me back any, Michael. Nor did they confirm if their people had any impact on this, nor would they tell me to what extent Kinzen were involved with it. I also asked Kinzen, they didn't respond at all, and I asked the Department of Health if they had given material from Kinzen to the HSE. And no one will say anything. But I, as I said on Friday, it's not a bring down the government story. But I think the principle here is actually quite important. We have a large Irish organisation telling multinational companies that certain people are engaging in disinformation and there is either no moderation of this or the moderation is incredibly negligent. And that should be an issue. There's also stuff in here, as I said, which is absolutely not medical misinformation. There are things like the anti-lockdown protests, flyers for an anti-lockdown protest that contained no claims about covid or anything to do with medicine, they related to lockdowns. Now, you, know, you can argue, I mean, what is the HSE going to say? That by protesting against a public health measure, you are spreading misinformation, even if you don't make any medical claim? Because that does not seem like a good principle. But it seems like a very big one. This is just a minor thing. A lot of what they complained about was not Irish. Like an awful lot about, like there were there were tweets saying that the COVID vaccine had killed DMX, the American rapper Michael, sent by Americans, presumably read by Americans, not really of interest to the Irish state, and it's also incredibly scattershot. There were people who were being reported for retweeting material, but the actual originator of the material wasn't tagged. <laughs> And my personal favourite, Michael. Now, this is my personal favourite. Yeah. Tons of the stuff they reported came from the HSE's Facebook page. Tons of it. I'd say hundreds of it, of comments. And I noticed something when I started looking through those comments. Some had been deleted, but the majority of them were still there. So the HSE reported this material as being harmful, as being misinformation, and then didn't bloody bother to delete it from their own Facebook page. It seems, again, if a curiously negligent approach. If, this, if you believe this is dangerous information, and it's on your own page. And I had a look through it, and some of the things they had reported were absolute, like, wild things. Massively out there, Michael. I would say pretty objectively harmful. But the HSD didn't bother to get rid of them. So... How seriously are you taking things if you're like, oh, well, we reported it. Why would we do anything else? So I asked them, you know, what is their Facebook policy on, prof on um, messages? 
Because, you know, they'll, they'll have a policy and if certain things cross it, they will delete your messages. And absolutely, under their own policy, they could have deleted it. They just didn't bother. So, it's a bizarre thing that you would go to this level and then not do the basic house cleaning because they had to collect all of these comments to complain about them. Anyway, we were, the story may be out later today, maybe Monday at this point, depending on when the HSE get back to me. I think the interesting things here is the Kinzen connection. And if there is a Kinzen connection, as I said, there may not be. Maybe they're getting the information from the Department of Health and it's still going through to Kinzen for some reason, some weird technical reason. Or maybe there is a third party, which is pretty much without announcement, reviewing the social media accounts of Irish citizens, and the HSE is reporting those citizens to social media companies for misinformation, which could have your account deleted, and there is no human oversight of it. It just doesn't seem like a great standard of behaviour. It doesn't strike you as the best system you could have. But uh, we'll wait and see. Maybe when they come back to you, singularly, or all three of them, they will have wonderful, clear-sighted explanations. But Well, I, 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 I would suspect they won't, Michael, for a very simple reason. So they know I have the, um, the Excel sheet and that I have all of the links on it. But you know, Michael, I just plumb forgot to mention that some of them go through Kinzen. So I asked a lot of questions about Kinzen, but I didn't tell them why. So I would suspect I will get back a very vacuous answer that doesn't admit Kinzen doing anything, regardless of if Kinzen actually did do anything. Because they don't like... I've Government departments don't like to offer information, and if they don't think you know about it, they don't tend to want to say it. Well, it's one of the basic principles that Sir Humphrey enunciated years ago. You never tell... You never tell a you never tell a lie that you know can be easily found out by the press, and you never tell the press anything that you think that they can't find out without you telling them. Mm. But if you are the HSE, you do report a tweet saying that vaccines don't kill people as medical misinformation, which is a confusing position for the HSE. That was one of the tweets they reported. It was someone making the common arguments against vaccination and then refuting them point by point. The HSE thought that was uh, medical misinformation. We have a different story, which is basically what amounts to a geography lesson, I would say. Okay. So, the Polish embassy has complained to RTE about some of the terminology used by RTE in relation to concentration camps. Or death camps, as the Polish call them. And they sent this letter to John Williams, who is the director of news at RTE. And the problem was this, according to the Polish embassy. They said that RTE had talked about a concentration camp, the um, Stutthof concentration camp. And the Polish embassy that RTE repeatedly referred to that camp as the Polish concentration camp or a concentration camp in Poland. And the Polish don't like that. They say the death camps were Nazi Germany, uh, Nazi German concentration camps. Poland was occupied at the time. And that saying that they are Polish death camps causes huge distress to the Polish community because the Polish didn't have anything to do with the camps. And they asked RTE to apologize. 
and the RTE uh, issue a heartfelt and fulsome apology. So John Williams put up a tweet saying that um, most of the reports in RTE News call that camp a German concentration camp and that it was called a Polish concentration camp in reference to its location. He said in the context used, the meaning was clear and there is nothing to correct. But he's apologised to the ambassador for any distress caused, which is a wonderful way of saying, I'm sorry that you feel that way, which is to say, this is your fault. It's one of those classic non-apology apologies. But I'm sorry if that upset, if you were upset by that, which means I'm sorry you're the kind of person to get upset by that, but it's not my fault. Nothing to correct indicates that, well, this will happen again. So it was, it was interesting when I was reading the letter from the Polish embassy, because my understanding was that um, Stutov was, it wasn't actually in Polish territory at all. It was in the free city of Danzig, which was a, a free city, obviously around Danzig, but not under the direct control of Poland. And then when the Nazis invaded, that territory became part of, I think, um, West Prussia. I'm not 100 percent on that. I, th- I think there was, it could have been Danzig, West Prussia. Danzig then after the Second World War becomes Gdansk, at which point it becomes Polish territory. But you, if you wanted, you could say the, 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 the Nazi death camp in modern day Poland, you could have said the, the death, if you're going to be, if, if you weren't sure that if it was in, if it was the free city or if it wasn't, you could have said the, the concentration camp in occupied Poland. But to call it a Polish death camp is just, I mean, as, as English is commonly used, it's just wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think John Williams can make an argument that it is technically right. I would say he's technically wrong. Because if you're going to say Polish concentration camp, that indicates it's currently a concentration camp or has been since the Polish occupied the territory. And neither of those things are the case. So it's never been a Polish concentration camp. From an outsider's perspective, you might say this isn't exactly a, a very big deal. It's not a great big story. From the Polish pr- point of view, I would imagine that the Poles feel very strongly about this kind of thing. But, you know, isn't it the answer of a rather pedantic grump to say, well, actually, I mean, from the context, technically, there, nothing was said was wrong. I mean, you, you've obviously... At the very best, at the very best, you could say that it was infelicitously phrased and could give rise to misunderstanding, that it was capable of inter- being interpreted in more than one way, that there was an unfortunate ambiguity. So you apologise for that. You made a mistake, we won't do it again. And we won't do it again. We will not use this phrase again. The Poles are our partners and allies in the European Union. Why wouldn't you just... Say just more sorry about that, and recognise the fact that what whatever you might think, it is clearly not the best phrasing, and commit yourself not to using it again, and just say sorry and move on. Why would you potentially make a big thing about about this? Well, that's the thing. You could just you could just say that's fine. We'll correct it, and it doesn't become anything. At the moment, you say actually, there's nothing to correct. Then you invite people to come at you saying, well, actually, there is. And if you want to be pedantic, the Polish embassy is right, just as a matter of phrasing. Now, it's, is that deeply harmful? No, probably not. Are there Polish people who might be offended by it? Yes. Is there a general wish amongst, shall we say, uh, the Polish government to forget any of the complications 
of World War II that would paint them in any sort of negative light. Very much so. But it just seems fair to say, okay, yeah, that's that's fine. We'll just change that. But no, they won't. So now it'll be a story. Now it'll be reported. And now they're, well, we may even get to read some think pieces about the free city of Danzig. Yeah. Something to look forward to. So I think we will leave it there. Uh, hopefully the audio quality was fine. And hopefully I can get a different telecommunications company to come in and give me internet before the next podcast. I ran the numbers, Michael, and I think it would be quicker for me to open an account with a competitor rather than wait for these people to actually get this job done. Well, then let it be so. Yeah, oh, the company, by the way, is Vodafone, if anyone is curious. Their broadband is quite good, but um, I've spent three weeks being told I'll be called within the next 48 hours, and either they have developed a revolutionary new understanding of time, or they're not very good at their jobs. The great joy, Michael, is um, getting calling someone two weeks into it, and being told that they cancelled your order and just didn't tell you about it. And that's what the delay was. They just cancelled it. And then when you say, can you put it in again? They say, oh, of course, but there will be a four-week waiting period. <laughs> that's customer service. Yes, we have to start a, a, a new application because you cancelled your other one. You have to go, no, no, you just said you cancelled the other one. And now they just won't tell me when they'll turn up. So... It, yeah, it would be legitimately quicker to open an account with someone else. They just want it to be a lovely surprise. If they just said, look, it'll be two weeks, I would at least have a date and I might be okay with it. It's the fact they won't give me a date. Like, it could be tomorrow. I don't know. But I would rather know it's a week away and know when it's coming than have to chase these people up on the phone again. Such is life. Anyway, as I said, hopefully for the next podcast... We will be uh, back as we were, uh, and we will be able to talk a bit easier, because in this connection, it is very difficult for me to hear Michael, and I assume it's very difficult for Michael to hear me. So it's not all bad news. You wound me yet again, Michael. <laughs> you become a lot more sassy now that you know I can't really respond to you. <laughs> now that I know you don't have the gun set up. Anyway... We should be back on Wednesday, and we will hope we, you will join us then. All the best. <laughs>